You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate that challenge and that encouragement, Lord. What a, I hope you've come to that point in your life where you believe in Jesus and can be able to sing along with that. And what a wonderful day it is. Uh, I still remember the day when I had turned my life over to Christ. It was a, it was a glorious day. I felt different. I, I was in junior high, and my buddy led me to the Lord, and I just started dancing around the room right there. And he's looking at me going, you are weird. But that's true anyway. So, <laughs> hey, good morning. My name is Mike McKay, uh, one of the pastors here, and welcome. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, our wonderful ushers are scurrying to get Bibles. They've got some loner Bibles in their hands, and they're coming on down uh, the aisle way. If you want a Bible, just wave at them. They'll be happy to give you that loner. You can just leave it there when we're done, and they'll pick it up and save it for the next service. Also, make sure you take out your... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, worship folder, open it up to the outline section. By the way, hand on to this Instagram thing. I'll be explaining that a little bit to you. Uh, <clears throat> some of you have already have seen that before, but I'll remind you of that. But open up to the outline. There's a bunch of blanks to fill in. Those answers will be up on the screen as we walk through our study today. We've been <clears throat> studying uh, for the last couple of months uh, the Bible book of Colossians. And we've been looking at it passage by passage, uh, took a little break, uh, talk about a, a little uh, series about giving God glory in our treasure and having Christ-centered finances. And, and all through this whole time in Colossians, we've been uh, challenged to live for the glory of God. Uh, Psalms 34.3 says, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt, lift up his name together. Uh, we are commanded, the word the, the glorified is written in the, in the command form that we are commanded to glorify God. Yes, instructed, but it's more of that movement from within to, to glorify God. It's, it's like that couple that's really in love and, and they are compelled <clears throat> to bless and encourage. They gush with praise for each other. They long for closeness. They live to please each other and to show love and <clears throat> They rave about how wonderful they are. They just can't help themselves. It's a lot like our youth pastor, Stan Markowski, is right now. Some of you know Stan, uh, um, and he has a girlfriend. And look at that smile on his face. <laughs> Joanna Abraham, uh, they met at Hume. Don't worry, she's not a student. Uh, she was... A <laughs> <clears throat> she was or is a staff person up there. They met up there and kind of had a <clears throat> little long-distant relationship. They've been... She's come down here, he's gone up there, and <clears throat> there is love in the air. But it's so fun to watch them, and Christy and I had a chance to go out to lunch with them, and, you know, just to make sure, you know, want to take care of our staff, and want to make sure, and, and, and it's just fun. They're both just, you know, their eyes are all glassy, they keep looking at each other with smiles. It's that gushing of love, they can't wait to praise and encourage each other. It's that kind of, of motivation that we should glorify God with, as 1 Corinthians 1031 says, so whatever, or so <clears throat> whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That all of life should reflect how beautiful Jesus is. And that, that leads me to this uh, uh, Instagram uh, 
insert that you have here. Out in the lobby area, some of you saw that a whole display of, of hashtag uh, four, number four, God's glory CC. Uh, if you use Instagram, you can take a picture, put a hashtag on it, maybe put an exclamation point on it, and some of them come back like this. Like this one was taken from Bob Kohler, who is a, uh, um, a captain who brings ships into the harbor, and he says, you know, ta- talks about how the past, the currents of the ocean ref- that, uh, that help guide the, the ships, giving glory to God for that. Or, or here's a couple others that came in. Cindy was washing dishes and wanted to give God glory even in washing dishes. That's amazing. Or just uh, Jim Hoffner was noticing as he was out on a trip the, the beauty of the, of the mountains. And, and you can do that too. And just follow the instructions on this page and, and, you, and, and post them there. And we'll try to see if we can get more posted on our display outside there. But not only does nature and circumstances reveal the glory of God, but our lives should reflect God's glory as well. Everything we do, all of our actions should give glory to God. However, loads of times we reflect something very different. Glory to self, glory to maybe some other thing in life. It's kind of like the other day I I was, um, I needed a a part for the toilet in my house. Now, we bought this house, I I guess it has specialty toilets. The toilet seat costs $85. What kind of toilet is that? I mean, I expected to go down to Home Depot and get one for, you know, $17.95 or $10.95. No, this toilet, anyways, that's another story. This is another part in the toilet. It was the flusher knob. And so, you know, I knew you couldn't go down to, to Home Depot to go get it, so I had to go to this one of these specialty stores that prides itself. If you hear their advertisement, it says how wonderful customer service they have. So I'm all excited. I walk in there with my little toilet flusher, and I say, okay, I, can I, I, I would like to get one of these. And I met with a woman who sat down at the desk and she looked up at me. She already looked like she had been angry at something in the world. And she kind of said, what do you want? You know, I, I was expecting, hello, how can I help you? What do you want? And I said, well, I, you know, if you could just help me. And I had a smiling face, you know, trying to be as kind as I can because it looks like she hasn't been kind to anybody ever. And um, I said, uh, uh, you know, can I, uh, I'm looking for this part for my toilet. Well, What's the serial number? I said, you know, I looked all over the toilet. I went online. I tried to find it. I can't find the serial. Did you know my toilet has a serial number? <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway, so it, it, I, I looked for the serial number. Couldn't find it. I figured this lady would be able to help me because their advertising says, we will help you find whatever you need. Well, she was upset at me for some reason. I don't know what it was. And she said, well, did you go online? I said, yes, I couldn't find the partner. I was, I, well, I can't do anything unless you have a part number. I said, well, I thought you might be able to help me have a part. Anyways, we went back and forth, and finally, I just took my little toilet flusher thing and walked out. And I went online, and I guessed, and now I have it, and it's installed. And if you come over to my house, you can use it. It's really kind of fun. <laughs> but that employee reflected opposite of what that store exists. Her glory was not to the, to the company. It was more to uh, her own ease or, or not wanting to work at that time because she had the computer right in front of her. She could just go and did what I just did at home. But she decided not. But whose glory does your life reflect? Our lives should shine out the great glory of God. God, the awesome, amazing, wonderful, majestic, beautiful, uh, magnificent God. The one who spoke and created us. Wasn't yesterday a beautiful day? wonderful day. Today's going to be just like that. Wonderful. God is amazing, and our lives should reflect his amazingness. All that we do should give him glory. 
We should uh, reflect out the, the fruits of the Spirit. Write down somewhere on your notes, Galatians 5, chapter, or chapter 5, uh, verse 22 to 23. The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Our life should reflect that of God. And that's why 1 Peter 4, 11 says, If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised. So that's the NIV. The actually, in the Greek, it says glorified, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This happens when Christ is central in our life. Write down Matthew 6, 33. Hopefully you've had that memorized as you've gone through this series. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things of life, all the words of life will be put in their proper place. That's my little uh, uh, paraphrase of that verse, but you can look it up later and read the exact words that are right there in your Bible. But when we put Christ central, hold him as the, our highest affection, all of life aligns, and all of our life then brings God glory. Now, as we've been studying uh, this idea and this sense in the book of Colossians, the Colossians had a problem. They, they had a, a lot of problems, a lot like ours. They were having issue with Christ being central. You see, the Colossian church started uh, by a man named Epaphras. He had heard the Apostle Paul preach the gospel. You know the gospel that says that, that man has a problem. And the truth is, we all have problems. Every single one of us. We all have problems. And that problem is called sin. We're born into it and we add to it all of our lives. Some have called it a mountain of moral debt. And this problem, this sin problem, holds us back from all that God would have for us in life. We certainly can't glorify him, but we can't live to our full potential because of that, and we won't be led into heaven if we have sin attached to us. Now, try as we might, there is no way humanly we can relieve us of that sin or to rid us of that sin. It is stuck on us permanent. Now, we can try to go to church we can try to memorize verses. We can try to give to the poor, do all the things, you know, follow Jesus' example to the letter. And it still doesn't change that sin problem. That's why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He came to deal with our sin once and for all. That's what he did when he died on the cross. He paid the penalty of our sin. The Bible says the, the wage of sin or the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus paid that for us. And how you benefit from that, from his payment of that, is to believe. And we talk about this all the time here. Belief involves a number of things. It's not just a head knowledge of saying, okay, I think that's right. No, it's actually saying, I understand I'm sinful. I understand I need a savior. And I believe with all I have of the understanding that Jesus is my savior and I'm choosing to do the best I can to live life his way. That's belief. And that's what God wants us to be involved in. And these people that, that, that Epaphras met in the city of Colossae began to believe that. And so they gathered together and became a church. Yet in this area of the world, a lot like ours, there were a whole lot of other teachings that made it easy for these new believers to choose to dilute God and dilute Christ, making Jesus on the same level as other higher powers they look to other sources of worship, guidance, and allegiance. They mix their faith with the deity du jour, the, the deity of the day. It is called a syncretism, a, a mixing of faith with the cultural ideals. 
And we do the same thing. It's taking that, that me-centered view of life and mixing it in the belief in Jesus where we are now primarily the goal. That life is for my enhancement, not the glory of God. That's syncretism. We even do it in the church, thinking that actually the, the church is about us. It's about God and to bring Him glory. It's taking the materialism of the day and mixing it with faith that Jesus wants me to be rich and famous. That's syncretism. It's taking the notion that a good life is a life without problems, and therefore faith in Jesus means no difficulties or hardships at all. That's syncretism. Because Jesus himself said, in this life you will face tribulation. Yet when Jesus is our highest affection, life aligns the way it was meant to be. For Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. Uh, Paul said that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the visible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the all-sufficient Savior. There's no need for anything else. It's just Jesus. That's all you need. You don't need uh, fame or or self-preservation or being problem-free. You just need Jesus. And he is enough and he is sufficient. Can someone just say amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Colossians struggled with this syncretistic ideal. They also struggled with legalism, a a check-off list of things we do or don't do to achieve righteousness. And in chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul says, "Since, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, to the basic order of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And he goes on to talk about that you can't just simply do a checkoff list of things to make you righteous. There is no amount of things you can do to make you righteous because we're sinful. The only way to be righteous is to be clothed with Christ. To put on Jesus. And we're clothed with Christ when we come to that time where we believe in him and have that sense of, of faith in him. And now our job is to live up to our new identity. Not to gain righteousness, because Jesus did that for us. We became righteousness when we accepted Christ. We were clothed in him, and when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son, and we are righteous. We are set before God, sin-free, and able to enjoy, not only to give God great glory, but also to live out our full potential and to be led into heaven when that time comes. So we are to live out our identity now, some of the Colossians took this a little too far, calling it an antinomianism. Uh, Stan brought that up a couple weeks ago, uh, that we would now explain what that means. It's that, since, it's that idea that since Jesus uh, made me righteous, <laughs> I can do whatever I please. <laughs> I don't need to follow any biblical code or any moral law. I can just do whatever I want because, hey, I got my get-out-of-hell-free get card, and I'm Okay. I can just live life however I want to. And that's not the way it should be. You see, we should be living up to our identity. It's kind of like a, a diplomatic immunity or moral amnesty. Sometimes we live like that. 
All through Colossians, the Apostle Paul addresses these issues. And more specifically, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, the, the, the passage we'll be looking at this morning, where believers at Colossae and us are challenged not to syncretize or practice legalism or antinomianism, but to live our new identity in Jesus. Three actions to live up to our new identity that we want to look at this morning. So if you wouldn't mind setting your Bible aside, just standing up for a moment, let's pray and launch into this short study. Father, thank you for the joy it is to sing of you and be excited about our new identity in you, that we're saved, made righteous, brought into your family, adopted in. Lord, how amazing that is. And Father, I pray that you would... Uh, teach us this morning. And Lord, for those who are not quite there yet, haven't yet believed, Lord, challenge them and move them towards that action of, of accepting you and believing in you. Use this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat, and hopefully you've got your outline rolling and all written down a number of verses and things. The reason we give you a ton of verses is because we want you to look them up later. And, and actually, uh, we have a study guide that we have provide for you. There's some up here, and there's some in the back area. And I really want you to grab this one because it's, I go a little further with this idea of, of um, surrender that I'll mention in a little bit. But uh, do write down the verses. It really helps you when you study along as we go through this, but three actions to live out our identity in Jesus that bring him glory. The first action is to pursue a deeper affection for Jesus. Two ways Paul gives. The first is to actively love. Look now at chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 1 and 2. Since then, you've been raised up with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. To set our heart, meaning to seek with passion as the ultimate aim of life. It's that inner drive of an Olympic athlete to win the gold. It's that love intensity of a parent to to care for and train up their child. It's that passion-filled fervor of a young couple. It's a choice to set as our top desire, as our highest affection, Jesus. To know him, and to take on or to set our heart on his mission. Do you know what his mission is? Do you know what Jesus' mission is? Three things. One is to love God. Matthew 22, verse 37. Someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest thing in the world you could do? He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That's the number one thing, is to to love God. Jesus' mission is is to not only love God himself, but to help us love God. Next is to encourage people to thrive. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its maximum, abundantly. To be life in Jesus means you will thrive in life. And also to help hurting people. Matthew 22.39, Jesus said, you know what's the most important thing? Jesus said, love Lord God with our heart, mind, body, and soul. And the next is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And he also gave an example. That's what the Luke passage is to be like the Good Samaritan and to help those in need. Those are the things that are on Jesus' heart. What's your heart set on? What's your mind set on? What really is your passion? Is it God? Or is it self? Or is it something else? It's a choice, a decision to make Jesus the center of our affection, 
to delight ourselves in the Lord, to know Him like none other, to take on His passion. Another way to pursue a, a deeper affection in Jesus is to surrender to His way of life. Look at verses 3 and 4. For you died when your, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. There's a lot packed into that verse, but I want to take out the idea of that when you step into faith, you are now covered with Christ. And the Lord will carry you through any trouble you face. King David, uh, one who struggled deeply in life, wrote this in Psalm 27, 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me upon a high rock. King David went, went through it. If you read about his life in the Old Testament, boy, he went from one trouble to the next, to the next, to the next. Yet he's able to write this because he had an incredible trust in Jesus or in Christ or in, in God. He surrendered to his way of life. The truth is we can too. You know, we don't go it alone. We're not abandoned. We're not neglected. We're not forgotten. We have a God who cares immensely for us. And to experience his care and to respond to his love is to die to self. You see, when you come to that point of salvation, you're saying, I can't do it on my own. I'm dying to myself and believing that Jesus is going to carry me through. It's that idea of surrender in life. And that study page talks more about surrender, but let me just give you four realities of surrender. To surrender is to give up our will for God's. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus himself uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will, God, but yours. It's total dependence upon God. In John 15, Jesus gives an illustration of a, of a branch being connected to a vine, abiding in. It's that total dependence upon God for everything in life. Not somebody else, not a parent, not a, 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 a spouse, not a boss, not a friend, nothing else. Being totally dependent upon God to fill all of your needs. It's a ruthless trust in God, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And it involves sacrifice. Boy, look up and just soak in the words of Luke 14. It says, if you don't hate brother, father, sister, mother, and take up your cross daily, you're not worthy to be a disciple of Christ. Those are hard words, but it takes sacrifice. If you want a story of sacrifice, write down Genesis 22, uh, verses 2 to about 14. It's a I won't tell you about it, but you, you can read it and look it up. It's actually in the page here too. The question is, are you surrendered to Jesus? To pursue a deeper affection for him is to surrender your life to him. The giving up of your will, total dependence, ruthless trust and sacrifice. There's an a, a act of love and surrender move us deeper, setting our affections on Jesus. It helps us live out our new identity. Another action to live out our new identity is to stop sinful practices. Paul gives us three helps to stop sinful practices here. The first is to get serious and stop. Look at verse 5. Just the first part of that. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, Paul says put to death means it's, it's to snap us sober about sin and to feel sin's intensity 
Sin is not just some little white lie. Sin is horrendous. It's horrid. It's dirty. It's ugly. Sure, it paints it up like a a pig with a gold ring in its snout. Uh, But it is still bad. Sin is what has separated you from God. The enemy uses sin to rob your joy and actually to get you to turn your back on God. Sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Sin is not a light thing. It is dead serious, no pun intended. And when we come and and celebrate communion, we're commemorating the Lord's death because it was sin that was placed on His shoulders. And we're to remember that. The sacrifice that Jesus paid for us, the sin that was placed on Him for us, our sin. And we're to stop sinning. Because you can. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Let's read it together out loud. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So if there is a temptation to sin... You're locked in. That's it. Once you see the temptation, there's no way out, right? No. (laughs) It says what? There will be a way out. He'll provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. In other words, if we're on the the internet and all of a sudden this picture pops up that we shouldn't see, (laughs) scantily clothed woman or whatever it's, and there, and you're going, whoo, the way out is off off you're watching the tv and all of a sudden the victoria's secrets commercial comes on about that is turn it off if the sweet gossip oh did you hear so and so about so and so oh yeah comes into your ears there's a way you can stop if you're there with your significant other not married (laughs) and your uh intense romantic and things begin to go too far you can stop There is a way out. Every single time there is a way out. Whether it's thought or action, there's a way out. We need to look for it. We need to stop, get serious about sin and stop. The truth is we like it because actually sin tastes good at first. But then it comes to bite you in the end every time. The next step to stop sinful practice is to replace idols with Jesus. Let's look back, verses uh, 5 to 7. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And then in verse 10, it goes on, put on a new self. That self where Jesus is the highest affection, not any idol. We're to replace idols with Jesus. See, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our life. Those things that consume us rather than being compelled by Jesus. As 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, let the love of Christ compel you. Those idols are those things that control us rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit. As Ephesians 5, 18 says, it's right there. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's those things that confine us rather than, than freedom from Christ, the freedom that Christ brings. As John eight thirty six says, when the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Idols are those things that occupy our mind and our dreams. If we're plagued with thoughts and dreams of uncertainty, we may be dealing with the idol of control. If we're mentally struggling with rejection, we may be dealing with the idol of approval. If we're wrestling with intense thoughts of stress and demands, we may be dealing with the idol of comfort. If we agonize over humiliation, we may be dealing with the idol of power. Now, in uh, January, we'll be talking a little more about idols as we have our campaign. Every year we have a campaign, a, con- a, campaign, a constant uh, um, concentration on a certain aspect of Scripture. And we'll be looking at the life of David and at idols, and it'll be a wonderful time. You won't want to miss that. But we are to, uh, to get rid of idols and to replace them with Jesus, and that means to, to rid ourselves of them, to throw them away, to take them off, to be done with. Ephesians, write this verse down, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to around 32. It talks about actually giving the illustration of, of taking off those clothes, uh, taking off those idols like he would take off uh, dirty clothes to get rid of them and to take them off. You see, we are to get serious about sin and, and, and we are to uh, uh, deal with this by replacing those idols with Jesus. And, and lastly, we're to stop sinful practices by loving others like Jesus. Verses 8 to 11. But now you must rid yourself of all these things. And he goes on now to talk about the sins we have relationally that we need to get rid of. Things like anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self which is with its practices. Put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, and he goes on now in verse 11 and talks about the unity among people. We're all the same. There's no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no, bar- no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. The, the barbarians were people who just thought they were just so low of life. Same with the Scythians. They were, they were just lowness of life. We have those same kind of castes in our society as well. A lot to be with the poor and the rich uh, and the educated and the uneducated. And yet we're to see them all in, as one in Christ and to love them like Jesus does. See, Jesus touched lepers. He affirmed Samaritans. He talked to the rich. He ate with the poor and sinners, and he hung out with them. Write down James chapter 2. Read the whole pastor, uh, chapter. It says, don't, uh, uh, don't show partiality to anyone. We should all be one in Christ. And so we are to do the same and to stop the sinful practice of, of dividing and create unity. To live out this new identity in Jesus, we are to not only pursue that deep affection for Jesus and stop sinful practices, but we're also to be clothed in the virtues of Christ. And he just starts listing them here. Verse, uh, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Boy, don't you just want to just soak in that part about being dearly loved? Because sometimes we feel lonely and we feel un lovely. But all throughout Scripture, it's constantly mindless that you are dearly loved. Don't ever forget that. You may not feel love of another person. You may not feel love from your kids or, or love from your friends or from your family, but you are dearly loved by God. 
So clothe yourselves. Put these on like you do a garment. Clothe yourself with the compassion of Christ. As you read through scriptures, you hear about how much Jesus cared. He cared so much he wept. He wrenched in his gut. It hurt him to see people hurt. And we should take on that same compassion. We should have the kindness of Christ. He was kind to people and blessed them. I think of the, the first miracle, the wine at the wedding. It wasn't just the, the okay wine. It was the best wine. <laughs> Clothe ourselves with humility. For there is none more humble than Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, being willing, as Philippians 2 says, to be taken as a common criminal and hung on a cross to die for us. That's humility. Gentleness and patience. I think of how patient Christ is with me because I mess up constantly, and yet he's patient with me. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is hard. The essence of the word forgiveness is to let go. It's hard for us to let go. Believe me, I know. Uh, But we're constantly to that practice of letting go. And the more you let it go, the farther it is before you grab it again. The more you let it go, the farther it is before you grab it again. We are to forgive Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all in perfect unity. We are to love, to love like Jesus, but to put on these virtues. And three moves to make as we put these on. The first is to to live in shalom in community. When Apostle Paul wrote this, he said, Let the peace of Christ, verse, verse 15, rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Paul would have thought of the Hebrew word shalom. Can you say shalom? Okay, now say it with a good Jewish New York accent. Shalom! Come on. Shalom! I love that. That means peace, prosperity. It's good wishes. It's well-wishing to you, and we are to live within that in community. The challenge here is to let peace that the peace of Christ, that's when we come to salvation, rule in our hearts, but it also means to have peace, uh, that that peace infuse in, in our life so we live that peace and experience that peace and live in harmony and community. The next to do is to apply God's word. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To dwell in you richly means don't just read it and forget about it. You, you let it in your life and begin to mull it around and consider it and, and think it through and how you might then apply it. Write down James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, be doers of the word. Lastly, to place Christ as central. Whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That doing in the name of is to put Christ central in life, in our speech and in our actions. In Christ, we have a new identity, so we're to live it out, to pursue a deeper affection in Christ as we actively love and surrender, to stop sinful practices as we get serious and stop, to replace idols with Jesus, and to love like Jesus, to be clothed in the virtues of Christ, being in peace and thanksgiving, bringing in that in our lives, applying God's word, and placing Christ central. Do that, and you will live out your new identity. And one of the major well, the, 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 the pinnacle of that is to understand what we have in Christ, that message of the gospel, of what he did 
And that's why we as a church uh, focus uh, at least uh, once a month uh, in this um, ceremony of communion. A communion is a, is a sacred ceremony that uh, is a wonderful one. And if those who are helping prepare communion would come to their stations and, and get ready for taking this time. Uh, it started in the upper room when Jesus was with his disciples. It was the last meal he would have with them. And they, um, it was a Passover Seder. And they were used to this Passover meal because of all the intensity of its meaning. And Jesus, as he was going about this Passover Seder, pulled out some elements to allow it to have more meaning and different meaning. He pulled out the bread that was the bread of redemption and broke it and said, this is my body given to you. It symbolizes that he is the object of our redemption. We don't need to stay in sin any longer. We have a redeemer that pulls us out of that pit of sin. And then there's the cup. Jesus picked up the cup of redemption on this Passover Seder table. And he says, this is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood, meaning his death. That his death is where we would find redemption. The fact that he paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. And that's what we're to remember as we're to take this... uh, ceremony of communion to take a moment to pause and to thank God for sending Christ and for Christ for giving his life for us to let it soak in the reality of what sin costs that it wasn't oh just you know we say a little confession and it's over no it cost Jesus his life he died so you could live he went through real pain Real scourging, whipping, beating, beard torn out, crown of thorns, nailed to a cross. Real live pain for you and for me. And we're not to forget that. Because of the uh, importance of this ceremony, Scripture has challenged us to make sure that we're right with God. That we take a moment, if you are a believer, and confess to confess any sin that you might. Confession is simply letting God know that you know that what you did is wrong. <laughs> and if you can't think of anything, just ask God, he'll let you know. He's really good at that. <laughs> Some of you are not quite sure if you believe or not. And so if you don't believe, it wouldn't make sense to come and to take the elements. And that's okay. Lots of people don't partake and that's fine. But if you want to believe, you can. You could start your journey of faith by a simple prayer. Just saying, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm sinful. I believe you're my savior. I receive you as that and I'll do the best I can to live life your way. A simple prayer like that, that's the kind of prayer I prayed many years ago. And you can too. Just in the quietness of your own mind. If you do that, after the service, I'd love you to come talk to me. I want to give you some just material and just pray with you a little bit if that's okay. But we're going to take a moment. I'm going to pray and then give you a moment to pause. And our custom is we have a couple of stations. We have two stations up front here and two stations in the back. And we ask that you pick up a cracker and a cup of of grape juice and hold it until all are have been served and then we'll partake together as communion. So let me pray. And then you get yourself ready and you come to, when you're ready. Also, um, I'm sorry, I forgot this, but I'm going to ask our um, our remaining ushers or, uh, not ushers, um, remaining staff and prayer team members and, uh, and uh, elders 
uh, they're going to be available. There are going to be some will be up front here. Um, maybe some on the sides there. Uh, if you'd like to have some prayer today, maybe it's an opportunity to pray with somebody before you take communion or right, uh, you know, as you got the elements. These people will be standing around here and they'd love to pray. If you could take your positions too, those of you would do that. We'd, we'd appreciate that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity today to come into your uh, this place, this worship center that you have set up to glorify you. And, and Lord, we pray that you would meet us at our point of need and you would challenge, encourage us and draw us into your presence again and reveal to us any sin. And, and Lord, there's that one or two, maybe even more who don't yet know you, that this would be the time that they'd receive you. And so, Lord, thank you. May this time be meaningful to our souls, we pray in your son's name. When you're ready, We'll be up here for prayer. Um, we'll be, you can come collect the elements. Uh, we'll take this time and then I'll, I'll lead us as we take communion. night with his disciples and they really had no idea what was happening but when Christ brought in that and broke the bread they were in awe and they began to realize what we know now that Jesus is our redemption let's take the bread and remember the redemption of Christ when the cup came around they Again, didn't know, nobody ever took the cup of redemption that was waiting for when the redemption would come. And yet, <laughs> Jesus picks it up and he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. They didn't quite get it, but we do. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross. We now have a new relationship with God based on Christ and Christ alone. Let's drink and remember what Christ has done. Uh, Father, as we think through and, 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 and just revel in the reality of, of our redemption, Lord, we are encouraged. Um, we're thankful. Thankful that you, Jesus, paid the penalty for our sin. You've given us a new identity. Lord, may we live that out as we seek that deeper affection in you and Stop those sinful practices and clothe ourselves in your identity. Lord, thank you for that. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Watch the standards are going to be dismissed in just a few moments. Good Sunday to be here. So thankful that you came. If you're a guest with us, thank you for coming. Uh, if you'd like to know more about our service uh, and our services out as you go into the lobby, if you just keep turning right, there's a long desk there. That first part of that desk is our um, uh, 
Welcome Center. There's some really nice people who'd like to tell you more about our church. Make sure you pick up the connections. They have a lot of uh, information in there. And, and in the back of your worship folder, there was a lot of information back there about <clears throat> things that are happening and what's going on. And, and, and great, <clears throat> these are more than just holiday service announcements. They're holiday service opportunities. And we're hoping that you take them up. Make sure you pick up an ornament to bless a kid with Project Joy. Justin told you all about that. And, and with the hands and feet, Serve LA, there's an important, as you read through the, the details in there, Tuesday <clears throat> and Wednesday night, we're doing something kind of unusual here. We're having a turkey pull. We're, we're pulling the meat off the turkey. <laughs> we're deboning turkeys. Uh, and you see the times that are on there. I encourage you, if you don't have anything those two nights, or even if you do, change your plans and come down. A bunch of us are going to be deboning turkeys, and we'd love to have you there just to help us out. And if you can go uh, on uh, Thanksgiving morning, that would be awesome. But uh, there's some great opportunities for you there. Again, some of us will be up here in front if you need some more prayer or just want to talk to that. Or if you made that decision for Christ, do please come up and chat with us. Thanks for coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy it is to, to be in this place, for the, the fun it is to, to worship you and to have this time of communion. Bless us as we go out and live our new identity this week, we pray in your son's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.